Welcome to the Wellsteading Podcast. This is episode 162. It's December 30th, 2015. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. Well, this is the eve of New Year's Eve. I'm trying to get in as many shows as I can before I run out of time and the year is over. Still many topics I haven't covered that are going to have to carry over into 2016. I did, though, today want to talk about understanding risk and, more importantly, Alpha. I talk a lot about risk in this podcast, but I don't always talk about alpha. I've gotten questions about it. That's what I want to review in today's podcast. We're also going to do a brief market review. But before we get started, I do have a request for you, and that involves leaving comments over at the iTunes store. Now, it's been a long time since I've asked you to go over and give us any type of rating or reviews. In fact, it's, I don't know, it's been maybe six months or more. I, I know it's been a long time. I haven't really kept track of it. You know, now that the show's been up and running for about a year and a half now, we have a really good listener base. The show keeps growing, you know, day to day, month to month. It's all because of word of mouth. And I appreciate the effort that those of you in the audience, uh, you know, are sharing the show with your friends and your family. And because I know you're already doing that, I don't want to hassle you about, you know, going over to iTunes and, and leaving reviews or anything like that. It definitely helps, but I know it's it's a headache, and if you're not already uh, subscribed through iTunes, it can be a pain. Um, so that's why I, I really haven't harped on it. I'm very happy with where we sit in the in the overall rankings, and you can see those incidentally at any time by looking at the iTunes, uh, go under business category, and then specifically look under the subcategory of investing. The Wellsteading podcast does extremely well. Again, I thank you for that. The last time I looked uh, earlier this week, we were ranked, I think, at number 13. Now, that does change on a minute-by-minute basis, uh, but generally the show has been ranked somewhere, you know, say in that top 15 to top 30 range. And, you know, again, I'm very, very humbled, And but it's really you in the, in the uh, listening audience and those of you that share this podcast with your friends. That's why it's done so well in the rankings. And I think it's done especially well when you look at the people that are, you know, in normally in the top five or so, you're looking at people that are best-selling authors, people like Dave Ramsey that have, you know, been in this business for 20-some plus years and have a very successful radio show. Well, you know, here at the uh, Wellsteading Podcast, we have much more humble beginnings, no best-selling books. In fact, no books at all, no radio show, just the podcast and just you, my very uh, loyal and uh, well-appreciated friends in the audience. Hey, in any case, the only reason I bring this up is because there is a review out there that I really think is unfair. I'm not sure if the person that submitted it either did it by mistake, thinking it was another podcast, or if they're just being a jerk. Let me tell you what it says, and then you can draw your own conclusions. This review is dated November 27th, 2015, and it says, Awful Podcast, and it gave me a one-star rating. And then the uh, the quote here is, This is a terrible podcast. They had to go off the air because they couldn't get sponsors. They are selling a type of investment management that is for suckers. Well, again, the reason I bring this up to you is I think if you've listened to this podcast for any length of time at all, you'd you'd know a couple things right off the bat. First of all, we've never had sponsors. I don't seek sponsors. I don't want sponsors. So we're not going off the air because we can't get sponsors. And in fact, we're not going off the air at all. I mean, we're on our 162nd episode, and I look forward to trying to produce at least one of these a week going into 2016. In fact, I'd like to be able to produce two or three. My goal is really three. 
I have to admit, though, I do get lazy. I am a bit of an underachiever, so I may not get to three a week, but that's really my goal. I'd like to be able to produce these in 2016 on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I think if we did that, that would give me a chance to review the top media stories for the week with you on Monday. On Wednesday, we could uh, review general wealth building principles and I could try and answer listener questions. And then on Friday, we could do a, a weekly wrap up of how the market went for the week. So that's my goal. We'll see if I can actually do it. I guess it would be helpful if I received some nice reminders and promptings from you in the audience that, that that is what you want me to do and then to chide me along if I don't do it. Uh, but in any case, getting back to this review that I think is unfair, um, you know, finally on the last point, they mentioned that we're selling a type of investment management that is for suckers. Well, you know, in this podcast, we're not selling anything. No products, no services. I do tell you at the beginning of the podcast that I'm a money manager. Those of you that can afford and are looking for those type of services, you know how to get in touch with me. But in general, I just try and make this podcast fun and informative, and I try and tell you what's on my mind, what positions I'm taking. You need to draw your own conclusions. Uh, But again, I digress. In any case, I think this is an unfair review. I usually don't call these people out, but I will say if you're the person that left that review and you're listening to this podcast and you did it by mistake, please take it down. And then I will use this as an opportunity at the end of the year to ask you if it's not too inconvenient, if you can do it. If it's not asking too much, go over to iTunes. Please give us a rating and a review. The iTunes store is the 800-pound gorilla, and that's really what draws all the traffic and all the attention for podcasts, you know, as they stand now. So, hey, if you can do that, I'd appreciate it. I'll take it as a late Christmas present. In any case, I'm not going to mention it uh, again or at least any time in the near future here. Okay, so there it is. Enough of that. Let's have a brief market review before we get into the actual topic of risk and specifically alpha. Now, as far as the markets, they've been very choppy. If you've been waiting on a end-of-year Santa Claus rally, uh, you only have one more trading session to make that happen. We'll see how the market ends up closing on Thursday, but things look pretty flat for the year. Uh, as of the closing price today, the S&P 500 is up only 22 basis points. So that's well below what many people were expecting. That's less than a quarter of 1% of increase for the year. These are in nominal terms, not taking into account dividends, which may add another, call it 2% onto that. Of course, if you're invested through a mutual fund or through SPY or some type of an ETF into the market, uh, even if you're not paying an investment advisor directly for you know to manage your account, there are fund fees that are withdrawn directly from that account that you don't necessarily see. And so even with dividends all in on that, you know, you're, you're probably lucky if you're coming out up anywhere near 2% for the year. Again, we'll see how things close out tomorrow, but this has been a very lackluster year. And I think the first quarter of 2016 is going to be every bit as volatile. And, uh, you know, we'll have to wait and see how earnings come out. That can only shake things up. If we do get good earnings reports, we can't see the market, you know, bounce back up to that 2130, 2150 range. But I wouldn't discount that there are still a lot of troubled waters out there. I think it's very much uh, possible and probable that we could see the bottom still fall out in this market and watch it uh, decline 10, 15, 20%. I'm just telling you that we're still in very uncertain times. One key thing that really worries me about this economy, and that's despite the overall global slowdown, it's just even the market here in the United States. On the surface, the U.S. economy looks strong. Jobs numbers, housing numbers, they all look good. 
But the problem with that is, is that even with the S&P 500 and especially with the NASDAQ, you're seeing just a handful of companies really carrying the entire market. These are the very large and in most cases, uh, the very big growth companies, things like Google, Amazon, Facebook. You've heard me talking about those throughout the year. They have really skewed the indexes to make things look better than they are. If you look below the surface, you'll see that the majority of stocks are not performing well and many, many of them are in bear market territory. They're performing under their 200-day moving average. If you look at the small cap stocks, there's a lot of problem with liquidity over there. We're seeing the Russell 2000 is down over 4.5% year to date. So the question as we move into 2016, uh, what you want to be asking yourself is can these strong leadership stocks, the few of them, things like Facebook and Google, are they going to be strong enough and are they enough of a bellwether of the economy that they're going to be able to pull the rest of the stocks up with them? Or on the other hand, will these small cap stocks and then the broader sector of the market that's not doing so well, is that the bellwether for the future? And will that pull down these high flying stocks and we see the leadership fall apart and that precipitates an overall collapse in the market? We'll have to wait and see what happens. But I remain concerned, specifically as I look at the S&P 500, we see that the index is struggling at its 50-day and its 200-day moving average. Those two averages have kind of coalesced right there. The market, well, when it closed this afternoon, closed below both of those key levels, below the 50, below the 200-day. It's also below its 5-day moving average. Now, on the good news, the positive side, it is above the 100-day moving average, and it's slightly above the 10-day moving average. But when I look at the chart, it, it still looks weak to me. It looks weak going into an election year. It looks like this market's rolling over with the right side of the shoulder pattern forming back in November. Since then, we've been seeing lower lows, lower highs. What also worries me is that I see this common trend across the other market indicators I look at. If you remember, um, I mentioned to you many times before that the first thing in the morning I look at and the last thing I look at in the evening are five market indicators. Now, I look at a lot of other things during the day, but my fundamental compass points that I always check are the S&P 500, the price of gold, the U.S. dollar compared to uh, other major currencies, the 10-year treasury yield, and the price of oil. So those are the five things that I look at. I just told you that the S&P 500 today closed below both its 50 and 200-day moving average. So that's strike one for the S&P 500. As far as gold, it continues to struggle and just drag across the bottom. People keep thinking that it's putting in a bottom. I think it has farther to go, particularly if oil prices stay low. But the price of gold right now is at about $1,060 an ounce. That puts it firmly below both its 10-day and its 5-day moving average, but even more importantly than that, it's significantly below the 50-day moving average, which is significantly below the 100-day moving average, which is significantly below the 200-day moving average. Every moving average indicator for gold is pointing downward. Now again, does this mean it's going to just crash down and drop below $1,000 an ounce? I have no idea, but the chart doesn't look good everything is slanted down. So that's strike number two. And then when you look at the price of oil, it looks almost identical to the gold chart. The closing price today, again, was below everything. It was below the 10-day, it was below the 5-day, and then it was significantly below the 50, which was below the 100, which is significantly below the 200. 
I don't think that the bottom is yet in for oil. I wouldn't be surprised uh, to see the price of oil drop down below $30 a barrel. Currently, West Texas Intermediate is trading right around $36.5 a barrel. Now, this is despite the fact that the export ban has been lifted on the export of West Texas Intermediate. The relationship that it has with Brent has flipped, and now West Texas Intermediate is now trading at a premium to Brent crude. But the problem with that isn't so much that the U.S. price of oil has gone up, it's that the global price of oil has come crashing down. This is due to a weak economy, continued depressed pricing in commodities. I think we're going to see some defaults and bankruptcies in the energy and, and commodity sectors before this gets better. I won't be at all surprised to see the price of West Texas Intermediate dropping below $30 a barrel. So watch for that. Um, this is the third indicator I look at, and that's strike three right there. And so the only two sectors that are at least holding their own are the 10-year yield on the Treasury and the U.S. dollar, and those two are generally correlated. So the chart on the 10-year Treasury is, is pretty much uh, consolidating and trading in a tight range. Interest rates currently are up at 2.3%. For the economy that we're in, generally we're looking at them um, being positive if they're above 2.25%. So they're not much above that, and they seem to be getting support somewhere around 217, 2.17%. The speculation is, is that we'll see maybe a 1% increase through the end of 2016. So a year from now, we'd be seeing rates at maybe 3.3%. I think that's likely, but I also am skeptical about that because of all the quantitative easing that's occurring in Europe and in Japan and in China. That deflation gets exported to the United States, and that could hold our interest rates down because even if the Federal Reserve tightens, that money is fungible, and our rates here are considerably higher than those in Europe and in Asia. And with all that foreign money flowing into the United States to get these better yields, I wouldn't be surprised if interest rates dropped that back down below 2%. And I think that that would definitely happen if the stock market starts to fall apart because investors will jump into treasuries as a safe investment. But for right now, the yield looks stable. And that takes us over to the U.S. dollar. The chart on the dollar is similar to what you would expect with the U.S. treasuries, with the exception that today the dollar did close below its 10-day moving average. The dollar has not gone up as significantly as the yield on the 10-year Treasury has in, in the past few sessions. Where the Treasuries have gone up about 1%, the dollar is stagnant, and, it, and in my estimation, it should be trading about 1% higher than it is. That's a concern. It's a concern to me that the dollar is lagging behind the Treasuries. This is also important because the dollar today closed just slightly below its 50-day moving average. If they can't hold at that level, then there's nothing to keep them from dropping down to at least the 200 and the 100-day moving average, which is a good 1% below where they are right now. I'll be watching that closely. So out of the five indicators that I consider the most critical, we've got strikes in three of them. And while interest rates seem to be holding up, the dollar seems to be petering out. In my opinion and estimation, none of these are good signs to be closing the year out in and then particularly going into an election year. So I'd encourage you just to be cautious and remain patient with this market. Now the main topic that I wanted to cover in today's episode is about risk and specifically it's about alpha. Now most people understand what risk is, but they don't understand the concept of alpha. 
alpha is a measurement of the performance on a risk-adjusted basis. I'm not going to get into the theory and the academics behind what that definition means. I think it's easier for me to draw a few analogies for you and try and illustrate the point. So with alpha, we're talking about measuring performance on a risk-adjusted basis. Now, I think everybody's familiar with a game of roulette. So I want you to uh, imagine that game, but I'm going to give you a little bit different parameters on it. You see, in my game of roulette, the one that I want you to visualize, it has better odds than what you're going to find in a casino. You know, in a casino, you put your money down and you bet on one number. If that number comes up, you win. Well, for me to illustrate this point about alpha, on my roulette wheel, the way this is going to work is that you win if your number doesn't come up. Okay, so there's only five numbers on my roulette wheel. We're going to spin the wheel, and if it doesn't come up on the number you bet on, then you win. Okay, so you have four chances out of five to win. It's going to cost you $10,000 to play the game. You pick any one of those five numbers. As long as the number you pick doesn't come up, you win a million dollars. So you put up $10,000, you have four chances to win out of five, and you can walk away with a million-dollar prize. So the risk-reward relationship in this game of roulette is very much in your favor. You have an 80% probability to win, and the odds are not only in your favor, but so is the payout because the most you can lose is $10,000, but your gain is a million dollars. Now, I described this in the manner I did because this would be an example of a very high alpha investment. The risk is very minimal compared to the large reward that you gain. Now, let's compare this to a game that would have a very poor alpha or even a negative alpha. And it's very similar to the game that I just described, except in this case, it's called Russian Roulette. And instead of using a roulette wheel, you're going to be using a pistol. And so the way this game works is someone will take a revolver, they'll load one bullet into the chamber, they'll close the cylinder, give it a spin, and they hand you the revolver. You then have to put it to your head and pull the trigger. Now, just like in the previous game, you have four chances to win and only one chance to lose. So the odds are still 80% in your favor. The difference is is if you pull the trigger and you get the loaded chamber and that gun goes off, you not only lose your $10,000, you also lose your life. Now, this is extremely bad alpha. I use this illustration as a very graphic example for you to understand what alpha is because I think it's simpler than trying to explain all the academic definitions. So simply stated, alpha is a measure of the performance on a risk-adjusted basis. When you're playing Russian roulette and you have an 80% probability of earning a million dollars, that's still a very bad investment because when you adjust it for risk, well, you not only lose your money, but you lose your life. Now, I'm sure none of you are going to be playing Russian roulette, but it's important that you understand this concept of alpha because it affects your investment performance in the stock market. Whenever you invest in a stock or in an index fund or in a mutual fund, you want to not only look at the reward, but you want to look at the risk. And although you may think that many investments are the same, they're drastically different. For example, let's say that we ended this year with both the S&P 500 and the Russell 2000, both returning 1% annual returns. The inexperienced investor would look at that and say, well, I made 1% either way. So that was a comparable investment outcome. 
But the truth of the matter is when you factor in alpha, you would have actually had a worse performance investing in the Russell 2000 because the Russell 2000 is a riskier investment. The smaller cap stocks are much more volatile than the blue chip stocks in the S&P 500. And so even though at the end of the day you received a return of 1% by investing in either of those indexes, the money that you had invested in the Russell 2000 was at a much greater risk and so you weren't being adequately compensated for the risk that you were taking. Now this not only applies between different indexes or different asset classes and obviously between different stocks, but it's also relevant when you factor in market timing. For example, 12 months ago, when we looked at the likely outcome for 2015 and you looked at the S&P 500, what the current valuations were and what the growth expectations were likely to be for earnings, most objective analysts were saying that the best that could be achieved in the S&P 500 for the year 2015 was about a 5 to 6% return. That would take the S&P up to around 2130, 2150, somewhere in that range. So that was the reward, that was the payoff, that was the best that you could achieve for investing in the S&P 500 for the year 2015. And at the same time, when you assess the risks and you look at the high valuations that were built into the prices and you factored in that this bull market had gone on for about six continuous years, it was the third longest in history, and that the market had gone up over 40% in the previous two years. When you factor all that in, you could concede the market could drastically underperform or pull back as much as 10, 15, 25%. You couldn't guarantee that with any certainty, but you could certainly come up with multiple scenarios about how that could happen. So your upside is 5 to 6%. Your downside could be 10 to 25%. This is in the S&P 500. This is with the 500 best blue chip stocks in America. And it's the same S&P 500 in 2014 as it was in 2015. The difference is that the alpha is lower in 2015 because there is more risk than there is potential reward. Now, I realize this may seem abstract. And you may be saying, hey, look, I just want to invest in the stock market. I want to get 5, 6, 10% return. It's common for people to think that way because the financial industry has built up unrealistic expectations because they want people to look at the reward side and to ignore the risk part of the equation. I won't get into detail on that in this episode, but if you go back and you listen to episode 152, you can hear me explain that in detail and give you an idea about what realistic returns have been over the last 15 or 16 years, and I bet they're significantly lower than what you think they are. So as we wrap up this year and we go into 2016 and you start looking for investment opportunities, Remember the concept of alpha, and remember that it's not just about how much of a return you get, but you want to be adequately compensated for the risk that you take. I expect there to be a lot of opportunities in 2016. I, I really think that it's going to be a fantastic year for people that can pick the right stocks. But at the same time, I think the market's going to be very turbulent, and I think the indexes could pull back significantly. Metaphorically, it could be a game of Russian roulette. So be cautious and don't be overconfident. Well, that'll wrap things up for today's episode. Thanks for taking the time to listen. As always, until the next episode, this is John Pugliano wishing you the very best of returns.